Our scripture today comes from Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, raised flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses, on your chariots, chariots of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth it, its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury, you threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of the mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Grace Community Church. Good morning, and uh, welcome for any one of you who are uh, visiting with us. Uh, we're so thankful you're here, and we pray that your time with us in worship uh, blesses you. So I want to tell you a little story. A couple weeks ago, uh, Dave, myself, Jerry, and Adrian went uh, to a pastor's conference in Louisville, and Adrian and I decided on Wednesday to see if we had the gift of prophecy, okay? So we decided to take a guess at what was going to happen the rest of the day for us, and see if it worked out in our favor. See if we had the favor of God is really what we were doing. So, we went ahead and decided to go ahead and, and predict what was going to happen. So the first thing was, we heard of this amazing restaurant called The Game. And we were like, you know what, we're going to go to this place, and the burgers there are going to be absolutely amazing. And they were. So, that's one, alright? So, then number two, is that we predicted that John Popper was going to preach the evening session. Now, they didn't tell you who was going to preach the next session because they wanted you to come to all of them. So, but we predicted that John Popper was going to come to the evening session that night, and he did. Plus two, right? All right, so there's this, I probably shouldn't tell you this one, but there's this pie and ice cream shop that is so good in Louisville. And we were like, you know what? The evening session is going to let out in time before that place closes that we're going to get there and we're going to get some good pie and ice cream. And we did. So that's three, right? The favor of God is on us right now at this point, and we're excited about it, right? Pine ice cream was real. All right. So, 
as most of you know, on that, on that particular Wednesday night, the Spurs, or not the Spurs, I said the Spurs, the Golden State Warriors, the Spurs are better, I'm just kidding. No, the Golden State Warriors, uh, they were playing for their 73rd uh, victory. And uh, so we predicted that they were going to win their, their 73rd game, and they did handedly. It wasn't even close. And on that same night, Kobe Bryant was going to play his final basketball game uh, in the NBA. And so I made the prediction. I said, you know what? Kobe is going to go out on top. Not like record-wise, because the record was really bad, but he was going to go out with a victory. And so Adrian decided to test the limits a little bit. Adrian said, not only will the Lakers win, he'll go out on top. Kobe Bryant's going to hit the game-winning shot. And if any of you watched the game, Kobe Bryant hit the game-winning shot as they won on his final game. It was insane. It wasn't the buzzer beater at the end, but it was the go-ahead shot with like 30 seconds left to go. The favor of God was clearly on us on Wednesday. We try to get on Thursday and not so much. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> I think we came to the realization that we just got lucky. Uh, but I was thinking later on, was Adrian's prediction of Kobe hitting the, the game-winning shot really so out there? Was it really so far-fetched? If you look back at the history of Kobe Bryant, you know that that man loves to shoot the basketball, right? He shot 50 times in that game. This is the man who shot and scored 81 points against the Raptors one time. He's, on several occasions, scored 60 points before. If there's one thing he does not do, it's what? Pass the ball. He's not going to pass it. He's going to shoot it. If Steph Curry was on his team, he would still shoot it. If LeBron James was on his team, he would still shoot it. You know why? Because he's done it before, and he'll do it again. Right? If I'm a Lakers fan, I want the ball in Kobe's hand at the end of the game. Because he's hit game-winning shots before. He's done it before. He'll do it again. And so Habakkuk, getting into Scripture, finds himself right there, where he has to look back at what God has done through the years so that I can give him hope for tomorrow. So we're in Habakkuk, and the, uh, for those who have not been trekking with us, we are doing a sermon series called Answering Life's Toughest Questions. And we've been going through the book of Habakkuk. Now, to give you a brief overview, Habakkuk is a prophet to the people of Judah, right? And so in the very first chapter, he asks God, he's, he said, why on earth do you not do anything about the sin that I have to sit here and watch? And for how long do I have to sit here and watch it. Those were his first two questions. And so God responded. He said, I'm doing a work in your day. And you wouldn't believe it even if I told it to you. But God told him. He said, I'm raising up these people. They're called the Chaldeans. We know them as the Babylonians. They're called the Chaldeans, led by King Nebuchadnezzar. And they are going to be the judgment for the people of Judah. Well, Habakkuk didn't like that. Habakkuk then again asked him. He says, God, you are sovereign over all of this. Why, is, why do you have to do it this way? Why are you raising up this malicious people, these evil people, to be our destruction? And then he said, you know what, I'm going I'm to wait for your answer because it's probably going to be in anger. And so God responded, not in anger. He said, I'm going to give you a vision. I want you to write it down so that, so that the people for, will forever know this, that the righteous shall live by his faith. And then he begins to talk about the unrighteous. King Nebuchadnezzar, he gives five woes. Basically, these five woes are what's going to happen to King Nebuchadnezzar in due time. What he's done to others will happen to him tenfold. Don't worry about it. It will happen. So here we are in chapter 3. And Habakkuk is in the midst of suffering. Habakkuk 
is in the middle of the Chaldeans reaping destruction through the people of Judah. He's in it. And in here, he's singing a song. Now, I don't think that for many of you who are probably suffering or going through something that you feel like it's the right time to sing a song, a worship song at that. And I want you to understand something. From my perspective, I am a 24-year-old. I have not endured much suffering in my life. And so, today I am not coming to you from a place of experience. But I am coming to you from the Word of God. And so I will do my best this morning to give it justice. So he gave this song, a worship song, in the middle of this storm. Now some of you, I feel like a small man speaking into a big microphone because there's, there's many of you in here who have endured severe suffering in your life. There's probably some of you in here who are going through suffering right now. You are in the middle of a storm. Habakkuk here is singing in the middle of his storm. And what I'm going to read to you from Scripture today is proof that you can sing in the storm. You can sing and worship in the midst of suffering. And I'm going to draw from three principles this morning that we get from Scripture. The first one is you can sing in the storm when you remember what God has done. And so I'll read, I'll start in verse 2. O Lord... I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So he starts off in in verse 2 and verse 16 are the only two verses in this passage that are in the present tense. Everything else is past tense. So he's speaking here. He is responding to God's five woes. And he is singing the song. And he says, I heard your report, and Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. So what is he implying here? He's implying here that this, this suffering that I'm going through, this suffering that the people of Judah are going through right now, could take years. This could take a very long time. So in these years, revive it. Make it known. Well, make what known? Revive what? God's past works is what Habakkuk is referring to. Lord, in the midst of this suffering, there's going to be times where I forget what you have done in the past. I'm going to forget how you've delivered the people of Israel time and time again. So please, in the middle of my suffering, in the midst of these years, make it known to me. Revive it to me. Help me remember so that I can have hope. And then he says in wrath, remember mercy, that those four words are so beautiful and so poetic and they have stuck with me this week. And so, and so I want you to hold on to those four words as we go through this passage because you're going to see them played out in these stories that Habakkuk reflects on. Verse 3, uh, I'll read verses 3 through 5 here. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. You see, he's remembering a specific story right here. 
If you see in verse 5, he says, And plagues followed at his seals. This is referring to the plagues of Egypt and how God delivered them from Egypt. And then Mount Paran and Taman are synonymous with each other, meaning wilderness. So he's reflecting on how God brought them out of slavery from the Egyptians and then how they were in the wilderness. So what happened in the wilderness? When they were roaming the wilderness, God was punishing them for disobedience and rebellion. And so he said that anyone who's age 20 and up will not be able to go into the promised land. So for 40 years, they walked around waiting. Children waiting for their parents to die. Doesn't sound like mercy. It's wrath. Most definitely wrath. Was there mercy in the midst of that? Yes, there was. When the people of Israel went hungry, God fed them. At one point, bread rained from the heavens, covered the earth, and they could eat. At one point, they were in their camp, and a quail walks into their camp, and they killed it so they could eat. When they were thirsty, God told Moses, I want you to strike the rock. A rock of all things, and water is going to flow from it. And then again, later, he says, now I want you to speak to the rock. Moses disobeys, strikes it, but does water still flow? Yes. Did God remember mercy in the midst of his wrath? Yes, he did. Habakkuk is reflecting on this story. You can sing in the storm when you remember what God has done. And so read verses 6 and 7 here. He stood and he measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. So now he is speaking towards God's sovereignty here again. Uh, everlasting are his ways. He said he stood and he measured. I want to uh, refer you back to Isaiah. Isaiah 40 uh, verse 12. Write that down. Isaiah says this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who? Who else besides our almighty God. No one. How reassuring is it to know that this creation in which we stand on, this, this earth, can be held in the palm of God's hand. That gives me reassurance that I can't even explain. That my heavenly Father can hold this entire earth in the palm of His hand. How amazing and he says he looked and he shook. Everlasting are his ways. All of creation, human and non-human alike, shook as nature convulsed. What's this, what this is saying is, is that this is implying the storms that are happening around them. It's talking about earthquakes. It's talking about uh, strong winds, fire raining down from heaven. What, what Habakkuk is talking about, and what we'll see later, is that he says that God literally walked through this path of the earth, reaping destruction in his wake. God is sovereign. The nations shook and it convulsed. And as we see, it says here that the everlasting 
mountains were scattered. Uh, the everlasting hills sank low. As creation changes, my God never will. These mountains that stand here behind the church that have been here for, for hundreds of thousands of years, however long they've been here, that we think they're eternal, they're going to stay there forever, they change every single day, but my God doesn't. He is sovereign and He is everlasting. Everlasting are His ways. Then he says here, I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. And now he's referring to uh, Judges 7 with Gideon and his 300 men, the Midianites who were oppressing the people of Israel. Gideon walks into this camp and this man is standing there and he said, you know what, Gideon, I had a dream that barley was going to go into the tents of the Midianites and he was going to shake them. Gideon saw that as God's got our favor. So what they did is they surrounded the Midianite camp. They broke jars. They played trumpets and they screamed. And it says that all the swords of the Midianites were turned against themselves. Who fought that battle? God did. It was Gideon and 300 men versus an entire army. How great and sovereign is our God. And so he's reflecting on this. You can sing in the storm when you remember what God has done. I'm going to continue on in verse 8 here. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations with anger. Wow. Habakkuk all of a sudden speaks to God directly. He has been speaking about him in the third person. Now he's speaking directly to him. Asking him this question, Lord, was your wrath against the rivers? Basically, this is a rhetorical question in which Habakkuk was asking God, was your wrath against creation? The answer is no. See, creation is a bystander to our sin. Creation has to suffer because of us. Because of our sin. It started with Adam and it continues to today. And so then he says... He says here that the sun and the moon stood in their place. This is referring to Joshua. When they were facing the Amorites into the promised land. Uh, it, says, it says in that passage that God put the Amorites in a panic. And then he rained stones from heaven. That sounds furious. He rained stones from heaven. Who fought that battle? God. And in that moment, the sun and the moon stood there and watched. Creation has to watch the judgment of God. All right. So being a children's pastor, I get to ask some pretty cool questions. Where's your hand if you ever got a spanking before? All right. You can put your hands down. Raise your hand if you've ever had to watch someone else get a spanking. That's awkward, isn't it? It is so awkward. When you, like, when I would go over to my cousin's house, 
and we would do something crazy, and he got a spanking, and you just stand there like, you know, it's awkward, right? Creation has to watch God's judgment be poured out because of us. They have to sit there and watch. It says here, the sun and the moon stood still because of it. Habakkuk had to remember what God has done. He's done it before. He'll do it again. You can sing in the storm when you remember what God has done. And some of you this morning need to remember. In your place of suffering, remember what God has done. Remember how he loved the Israelites. How he delivered them from so many trials. Or even in your own life, if there's a past event where you can look back to and say that God brought me out of this. He's done it before. He'll do it again. You can sing in the storm when you remember what God has done. Our second principle this morning is you can sing in the storm when you remember why God did it. Why God did it. Verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Salvation for his people. That is why he did what he did. Because he loved his people. In every single case, delivering them from Egypt, from, from the hand of Pharaoh and as slaves, he loved them. And so he wanted to bring salvation to them, so he brought them out. When they came up to the Red Sea, they weren't going to get away from the Egyptians without God's help. So what did he do? He split the sea so they could go in between, and then he crushed the waters on top of the Egyptians behind them. But the people who were blocking the way for them to get into the promised land, God cleared the way for them. Why? For the salvation of his people. He says, you came out. What what does he mean by you came out? Like I said, if you look at the verse before, in verse 12, it says, you marched through the earth in fury. He said, God, you came out. You marched through this earth. And, And it says here that you completely unsheathed your arrows, which basically means he took it all out. He didn't leave anything behind. He, he unleashed his power walking through the earth. And as nature convulsed, all of it was for the salvation of his people. Every single bit of it. And usually we see wrath and we think God is the ultimate judge. But when you look back at his plan of salvation, you see a father who loves his children. In wrath, remember mercy. You can sing in the storm when you remember why God did it. If you compare this to King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the leader of the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, again, are the ones who are oppressing the Ju- Judah right now. If you look at him, why, did, why, does, why does he do what he do? He does it to exalt himself. He does it. He steals, kills, and destroys all for his own name, to sit high up on his own throne. But that's not how my father is. No, my father does what he does because he loves me, and he is a merciful father. That's my God. Not like Nebuchadnezzar. He defeated the house of the wicked. He destroyed the enemies of his anointed because he's a merciful, merciful God. And when I mean merciful, I want to take you back. Okay, so in in Egypt, after God delivered them from slavery, from the Egyptians, at one point they were walking in the wilderness. And you know what they said? It would be better to go back to Egypt than to walk through this wilderness. It would, we would be better off as slaves than to be where we're at right now. 
did God still remember mercy in that time? How about when Moses was up on Mount Sinai? For 40 days, he was up there, and the people, I guess they just got bored. You know, you know what? If he's up there for 40 days, maybe he's lost, maybe he's dead or whatever. So maybe the God's not real, the God who just delivered us from the hands of the Egyptians. So let's make our own image and worship it. And so they made a golden calf. In all of that, did God remember mercy? Yes. He is a merciful God and a loving Father. And everything he has done for the salvation of his people. He always had a plan. He always brought about their salvation. And so Habakkuk is remember how the Israelites were going through many storms, literal storms. Like I said earlier, nature convulsed. But God always brought them out of it and brought them salvation. Now what if ISIS came onto American soil right now to make a statement? Like, would we not, the, 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 the nation powerhouse that we find ourselves, would we not just, like, obliterate them from the map, right? Like, that's what we would do. We would wage war against them. Now, the people of Judah were not, at any point, a military powerhouse. Their fight had to be fought by God. And only God. At no point in the history of Israel does it ever say that they got themselves out of this one. It never says that they got out because of their own power. Every single time, they were powerless and they needed the God who is not powerless. Every single time. He will strengthen you just like He strengthened them. Listen, it's not about how much you can take without breaking. It's about how much you're willing to give to God so he can take it for you. That's what it's about. How much are you willing to give to God? I'm going to turn over to Philippians 4 uh, real fast. Philippians 4, uh, I'm going to read verses 11 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I now know... I know now, I know how, to be brought low and, and know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This passage, Philippians 4.13, is probably one of the most misquoted verses of all time, right? So most of these kids, like, put it on their sports stuff. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's like, if I can't dunk, but I have Christ, now I can dunk, Right? Yeah, that's not how that works. Uh, if you can't dunk, then you just can't dunk with or without Christ. Like, there's, it's not happening. So what Paul is saying is, like, we need to understand the context in which Paul is saying this. Paul suffered. Paul was beaten. He was in slavery. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was put in prison. This dude has been through it. He has suffered. And so what he's saying in this passage is that I've known what it's like to have plenty and I've known what it's like to have nothing. But in any and every case, whatever the situation, I will be content. I will get through it. Why? Because Paul is just like that and he's just a really great guy and he can get through anything he wants? No. Because of Christ. Because I have Christ. I can get through it. I will be content. That is what Paul is saying. You can sing in the storm when you remember why God did it. Our third principle for this morning is you can sing in the storm when you anticipate what God 
will do. You anticipate what God will do. I'm going to read verse 16 for us. Again, verse 16 and verse 2 are the only two verses in this whole section that are in the present tense. And this is what Habakkuk says. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk, like we said, is in the middle of a storm. And you know what he says? He says, I'm terrified. I'm scared to death. My legs are shaking. My lips quiver. He is so scared. Many of you have been in a place of life where you were this scared. Or you didn't know. Some of you who are sitting right here this morning are scared. You're scared. See, the thing about Habakkuk, Habakkuk even says, I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. You see, Habakkuk knew what was going to happen. He didn't know, he may not know when, but he knew what was going to happen. And we face this thing called uncertainty. And that's the scary part, is we don't know. We don't know. Many of you are sitting here and you're awaiting a cancer diagnosis. You might be sitting here and you're, and you're waiting to find out why your child is, is suffering emotionally and physically right now. Some of you may be sitting here and you are waiting to see if your marriage is going to last through this storm that you find yourself in right now. Some of you are waiting to see if you're going to get a job in the midst of unemployment and no income. Let me tell you this. God has your best interest in mind. He absolutely does. He's a merciful God. And he loves you. He loves you uncontrollably. Do you know how I know that? You know how I know that he loves you uncontrollably? And that's because of Jesus Christ. That's because of Jesus Christ. You, you can sing in the storm when you remember what he has done. What has he done? He died on the cross for your sins. He took the wrath of God for you. Just like Nebuchadnezzar was going to have to drink from the same cup of wrath, Jesus did for us. And as Habakkuk has once said, once the wrath of God is poured out, then nature convulses. And it was no different on that day. On that day that Jesus died, there was darkness for three hours. The earth shook so violently that the veil of the temple was torn in two. This was a cosmic death. You can remember, or you can sing in the storm when you remember what God has done. You can sing in the storm when you remember why he did it. Why did he do it? For the salvation of his people. That's why he did it. He is a loving, merciful God. In the middle of wrath, did he show mercy? Yes, undoubtedly merciful as he poured the wrath of of God onto Jesus. In that same moment, he showed us mercy. Because guess who deserved it? Me. I did. You can sing in the storm when you anticipate what God will do. If If God has delivered you from your sin, don't you think he can deliver you with whatever storm you're going through right now? Yes, he can. He has your best 
interest in mind. And just in just a second, we are going to uh, sing one final song. Um, but I'm going to read a passage from Job, um, and then I'll be and then I'll be done. I promise. Um, Job 19. If we can look at Scripture and think of anyone in Scripture who absolutely suffered, Job would be the number one name on that list. This man lost his family in a day. He, he, his, his crops, his land, everything wiped out. This, this guy lost everything. Satan was specifically attacking him. This man truly went through suffering. And so I'm going to read Job 19, uh, verse 7 first. He says, Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. And if you have been tracking with us in this sermon series, you'll know that that is almost verbatim what Habakkuk said in chapter 1. I cry and I don't get a response. There is no justice. But then, (laughs) I want you to jump over in the same chapter to verse 25. When I read this this week, I absolutely wept. Because Job was going through what he was going through. And he felt that he wasn't being answered. And then he says this. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. That same guy who says that I feel like I'm not being heard, I'm in the middle of this storm, where are you, God? He knows he's there. It's his Redeemer. And the word Redeemer is referenced to God several times when talking about the deliverance from Egypt. Why? Because the word redeemed means to buy back. And in the moment that God pulled the Israelites away from the Egyptians, he bought his people back. Just like on the day that Jesus died on the cross, he bought you and me back. My Redeemer lives. Why did he do it? For the salvation of his people. His ultimate will for us is to spend eternity with him in heaven. That's his ultimate will for us. You can sing in the storm when you remember what God has done. You can sing in the storm when you remember why he did it. And you can sing in the storm when you anticipate what he will do. Father, we thank you for this amazing time of worship that you've, uh, that you've given to us this morning. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to come and to, and to worship and fellowship together as a group of believers to lift your name on high, to exalt your name, Lord. Thank you for being a God who never changes. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And as we look to the past and we remember what you have done, we will know that because you've done it before, Lord, you'll do it again. Lord, you, you are such a loving and merciful Father. And your ways are everlasting. So if there's anyone here, Lord, who is in the middle of a storm right now, I ask that you revive to them in the midst of the storm. Make it known to them your works, what you have done, so that they will have hope for what you will do tomorrow. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.